This is Scott. Here on the podcast, I talk to people who have been through extremely unusual situations, like witnessing a murder, or being attacked by a monkey, or winning the showcase on The Price is Right. We get to hear those stories firsthand from the person who experienced it. In this bonus episode, I want to introduce you to another podcast that has a very similar format, which means you're going to want to subscribe. This podcast is called The Only One in the Room, and the host is Laura Cathcart-Robbins, along with her boyfriend, Scott Slaughter. I've known them for years. Truly wonderful people. So today, I'm bringing you a full episode of The Only One in the Room, and in the opening, Laura will explain where that title came from. In this particular episode, you'll hear the guest, Tracy, talking about her husband, Chris. Chris was arrested for a crime he didn't commit. And get this, he spent three years in jail just awaiting his trial. In the meantime, Tracy's on the outside fighting to prove his innocence while still maintaining an income and taking care of their three children, basically as a single parent. So much to talk about with a story like this. And keep in mind, this happened back in the early part of the COVID pandemic. Hang around after the conversation, and I'll have an update about where the case is at today. I just have to say, Laura is one of the most compassionate people I know. You'll hear it in this story as she talks with Tracy about what happened. And if you like this story, there are lots more that you'll love. Just go to whatever podcast app you're using right now, and search for The Only One in the Room and click subscribe. I'd love to hear what you think about this story, and I know it'll definitely generate some discussion in the Facebook group, so let's hear your comments. So please enjoy this conversation with Laura Cathcart-Robbins from The Only One in the Room, talking with Tracy, whose husband Christopher was arrested. Real people? in unreal situations. There is a girl hanging by her broken leg from the telephone wire. And I called 911 and I said, I found a baby. I turned around. I see a gun pointed at me close enough I could touch it. She would hold our heads underwater all the time. He levels the gun, pulls the trigger, and I go down. Her eyes were full of tears. She didn't want to leave us. My hair catches on fire. I swear to God, this is this image is burning my head for the rest of my life. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? This call is being recorded. When I was in the cell, it was short conversations because, A, it was loud as hell, B, I was uncomfortable standing up all next to people. I mean, there was there was like literally phones on top of phones on top of phones. And so I found these past two weeks, we've had some of the best communication ever. Just looking at it like that, I feel closer to you. I feel more open. I feel that, that, that you can tell me things and I can, it feels like, like there's a better understanding in our relationship. It feels good to be able to communicate with my wife. I agree, baby. I really, really do. 
That's all growth. There was no script to this. I'm floating around. I'm, I'm just in jail. I can be moved whenever they want to. What can I control? And then I have to remember, it's in God's hands. This call is being recorded. I am the only one in the room that advocates for my innocent husband. You know, someone said to me the other day that they admired how much I fight for Chris. And I told them, it helps to have someone worth fighting for. Christopher, from day one, never looked at myself or Asha as anything less than his priority. It is an honor to be able to give back to him the way he's always done for us. This is Tracy and Christopher's love story. They met, they fell in love, got married, and created a thriving business and a beautiful family, one daughter and two sons. She was happier than she had ever been in her entire life, and his only desire was to keep her that way. Tracy Kearney, wife, mother, owner, and operator of Doggy Goddess Daycare in Los Angeles, loved the life that she had built with Christopher, and at 32 years old, still couldn't believe that she had found the man of her dreams. But what happens when there is a terrible crime committed, and it is your husband who is arrested and held for three long years while awaiting trial? Do you work tirelessly to prove his innocence, raising money and awareness for his case with all the means at your disposal? Or would you decide that after three years, it's all too much, and focus instead on raising your children as a single parent and keeping your business going during a pandemic? Hi, I'm Laura Cathcart-Robbins, and this is The Only One in the Room. In September 2018, I found myself in an all-too-familiar position. Looking around the room at the other attendees at a famed writer's retreat, I realized that I was the only black woman in the room. When I wrote about my experience for the Huffington Post, something surprising happened. 24 hours after my piece went live, I had 568 direct messages in my inbox. These were messages from people of all races, ethnicities, creeds, and nationalities who had connected with my piece because they too had felt othered. These are the stories we want to share. This podcast is for anyone who has ever felt alone in a room full of people, which is to say that this podcast is for everyone. You're listening to The Only One in the Room, presented by Lipstick and Vinyl and executively produced by Christina Barcy. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to like and leave us a review of your thoughts on the show. And if you have an only one in the room story you'd like to share, you can DM us on Instagram at the only one in the room. Enjoy the show. Tracy Kearney, what was your first concert? My first concert was Immature. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about it. Yes, that was back in 1995, I think. Wow. Little boy band. Every girl's dream yep. to go see their favorite little boy band and just, oh man, I'll never forget that. What, how old were you? I was eight, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so my mom eight? You were me. eight at a concert? Listen, <laughs> immature was it. That's so great. I, I used to, I used to be an entertainment publicist and I had an office building over here in the valley where we live now, not far away actually from our house right now, but. Immature's manager was in the office below me. Oh, Chris Stokes? Yes. <laughs> yes, and I still remember details. <laughs> yes, you do. And so they were always 
in our office. That is crazy. But I was, you know, I was a grown woman. I was right. 25, 26. So I wasn't like losing my mind over them. But I have to say they weren't even on my, I still don't know who they are. <laughs> but, but hun, people would come and wait for them to come out of the office in the parking lot. And it was like crazy to get to my car sometimes. Tracy Kearney oh, was probably wow. standing up. Yeah, maybe. Tracy, were you one of those women? Listen, <laughs> I could have been if I had a way to get out of school. Right. Yes. He would have like, immature. And, yes. and Ray J. And who else would come? Man, I don't know. There were a few. Brandy. It nice. was it was that era. That era of music yes. was amazing. Yes. I love that. It's, that's on my playlist right now, actually. That's all I listen to is 90s and early 2000s. Yes, me too. I can't really relate to a lot of new stuff. Tell me. Yeah, that, yeah, that's my era. And all these, well, pre-COVID, all these throwback concerts, that's all me and my cousin have been doing is ah. going to all the throwback concerts because that's the kind They're of music so good. that we enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so good. All right. So I am Laura Cathcart Robbins, and this is the only one in the room. But I am never the only one in this room because, as usual, my boyfriend, producer, and co-host, Scott Slaughter, who I call Hun, is here as well. Hi, honey. Hi, Hun. Mm -hmm. So just to set the stage, we're recording this during the third week of peaceful protests following the murder of George Floyd by a, mini a Minnesota police officer. In fact, so many people have been protesting that our hospitals are preparing for a second wave of COVID-19. Right. But in the midst of all that, there's a woman named Tracy Kearney, who's not only facing everything you and I are dealing with, but add to that the fact that her beloved husband, the father of her three children, have been languishing in an L.A. County jail for nearly three years awaiting trial. Three years. Long time. So Tracy and her husband, Christopher, have owned and operated. Is it Doggy Goddess Daycare, Tracy? That is correct. Okay, good. For years. Since 20... How long oh have you had it? That was 2008. 2008. So 12 years. And since Christopher's incarceration, Tr Tracy is running the business on her own and advocating for her husband's release and raising their teenage daughter and two young, beautiful sons. Your sons are ridiculous. Your whole family. Yeah, her whole family, her daughter. Like they're all, and of course, your daughter could be your sister. So that's. A whole nother thing. Tracy and Christopher have an absolutely incredible love story. A love story that we're, and we're so happy you were here to share it with us. We wanted you on this podcast to talk about this love that is against all odds. So thank welcome, so Tracy. Yeah, yeah, welcome, thank Tracy. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to the both of you. Oh, I appreciate yeah. it. Well, you know, and, and Tracy, you and I, you might be one of the clo people that I'm closest to that I've never met. <laughs> Uh -huh. I love our conversations. <laughs> you are such a gem. Yeah, we oh. have so many great conversations and I'll call you thinking it's going to be like a couple minutes and then I'll look up an hour and a half later and I'm like, oh, <laughs> snap. Like, yeah, she'll come to me and be like, I was just talking to Tracy. I'm like, Tracy, Tracy right, who? Right. <laughs> Tracy, oh, Tracy again. Kearney. Oh, yeah. again. Uh -huh. I do have a lot of Tracys in my life. I usually call them by their last name because there are five or six that are close to me, but yeah, I've, I've so enjoyed having you in my life and a shout out to Michelle Ross, right? Yes. Who put us together. Um, definitely through my friend Christina Simos. And I am so grateful for that connection because it brought you into my life. And, you know, hopefully I'll get to be a witness when you bring Christopher home. Oh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. You are kind of stuck with me. Um, <laughs> so just get ready for it. <laughs> so. Tell us how you and Christopher met. Oh, 
I love telling this story. Christopher and I met, um, we both worked together at 24-Hour Fitness here in Los Angeles off of Slauson. 24-Hour Fitness was my second job. Um, I had worked at a, another doggy daycare prior to starting my own. I was a single mother with our teenager, and I needed more of an income. So I applied for 24-Hour Fitness for part-time reception. I got the job and it was kind of just a really cool environment. All of us that worked there were young and Christopher was in sales. Mm. We all had a mutual respect for each other, but Christopher and I kind of got closer because he had this smile that literally would light up the whole front office and we would joke around and play around, but nothing serious. You know, I was trying to be professional. One day I got some McDonald's and I was eating at the front desk. <laughs> yes. Of the gym <laughs> while doing check-ins because my boss told me I could. She said, you can eat your food at the front. Christopher came over and helped himself to a handful of my French fries. Ah. I don't like to share. So, Neither do I. <laughs> I do not share, not my McDonald's fries. Mm-hmm. That's, that's going against the rules. Right. Um, so I said, excuse me, did you just take some of my fries? And he gave me that smile while chewing mm. my fries. And that's kind of when it sparked. Yeah. I can um, see that. So it was, I'm literally envisioning it right now. I'm playing mm. it back in my head. So not long after that, you know, I would sit at his desk on my break and we would just talk. And I stopped working there. About three months after, because two jobs was really, really hard with a young child. So we didn't see each other for about a month or so. And then I went back to that gym with my mom to work out. And Christopher literally chased my mom's car down. He knew my mom's car. <laughs> and he ran down the the driveway. Um, and we were about to go out with our little validation ticket. And he banged on the window and scared the crap out of both of us. <laughs> and I rolled down the window and I said hi. And he said hi back. And uh, my mom, you know, like, who is this? And I tell her. And he, you know, looks at me and goes, I would really like for you to call me sometime. It's been a while since I've seen you. Long and behold, <laughs> that was 2007. Mm-hmm. We literally kind of just jumped into the relationship. There was no hesitation from either one of us. It was, it was something we both really wanted. Wow. That is, there's so many things that are right with that story. It's from you not sharing your french fries to him taking them anyway and smiling at you as he ate them. Yes. And then just, you know, the friendship that you guys had as a, as a foundation. Yes. And, you know, everything that you post on Instagram, every story you've told me is full of the fun that you guys had together. You, your Disneyland posts. And if you follow Tracy, and I hope you do after you listen to this podcast so you can um, support her and the journey, her journey and the effort to bring Christopher home, you will see a love story. It's a slideshow of a love story. And it's not just romantic love, it's the love for their family, it's the love for their children, but you do not, you will not walk away with any impression other than then this is a couple madly in love with each other. Um, Thank you for saying that. That's true. That's exactly yes. the story that I want people to know. I want you to get to know Christopher for the man that not only I fell in love with, but our teenager that is almost 17 at the age of three. Yeah. She fell in love with him just as much as I did. Wow. And tell me the ages of your sons. 
They are three and six. And Christopher has been waiting for trial for almost three years in jail for 366 days. Yeah. Yes. So he has spent very little time then with your youngest. Correct. Oh, man. All right. So let's let's go to Christopher's arrest. Can you tell me what happened there? Oh, yes. So working the doggy daycare, Christopher worked more hours than I did because he wanted me home with the kids. So it was about 9, 9.30 p.m. when he would usually get home after closing. I was working out in the living room, and I heard through my headphones something that literally sounded like someone ran into the house. And I remember getting off of my bike, and I just see the red and blue lights kind of flashing from all the windows. Mm -hmm. And when I opened my door, it was nighttime, but I remember a minimum of 15 guns pointing at me. Mm. And they're screaming, get out, come out, put your hands up, just everyone's screaming at the same time. And I just remember having my hands up, screaming what's going on, listening to them. But my daughter was right behind me because she was in the living room with me watching the boys while I worked out. And I just remember turning around to her and saying, call my mom. Yeah. Because my mom lived not even three blocks away at the time. And I'm coming out with my hands up and I'm freaking out. And they take me and they, they're gentle with me. You know, they put me in handcuffs and they're trying to calm me down, which is virtually impossible. Mm -hmm. And I'm screaming, I have my kids. My kids are in the house. Like I see all these guns and mm -hmm. what are you guys like? This is what is happening. They never told me why they were there right away. So I'm literally panicking. They put me in this holding van. And I'm just screaming for my kids, like, I want my kids. And they're like, we're going to bring your kids, calm down. Then they asked where my husband was. And I said, he's in the shower. He just got home from work. And I instantly think of what we all have come to witness. I was like, please don't hurt him. Yeah. Please don't hurt him. And so they bring my kids to me in the van. And the windows were tinted in the van. I was trying to see when they brought my husband out. And all the guns, again, are facing the house. And my husband comes out with his hands up and he's in his underwear mm. and they, you know, handcuff him and bring him in the same van that we're all in. And the kids, the boys were clueless on what was happening. My daughter looked traumatized sitting in there with us. I can't calm down to save my life. Mm. And um, to make a long story short, they took him away. Not long after that, they asked us to thousands of questions they destroyed our house looking for evidence that they never found mm -hmm. and um it was just a nightmare it oh really my goodness was. so they 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 took him away in a separate vehicle and left you or they took him away in the van and left you guys at the house no they took him away in a separate vehicle they took him out of the out of the van mm -hmm. and that was the last time we physically were next to each other did January they let him 28th. put clothes on before they took him at the first, they didn't, and I don't know what he said to convince them otherwise, but they put some pants on him. He was still handcuffed, wow. and they, they half halfway put some pants on him. I saw him when he came back out the house, but he did not have on a shirt. Mm. So, obviously, so you don't you have no idea why this happened, right? I have you, no idea no why idea this happened. Yeah. By midnight, I finally got some news. They couldn't tell me anything until the detectives got there now mind you they came all the way from pomona mm -hmm. so they sent pomona pd and pomona swat swat first 
pull the gate off of our house. That's the part I forgot to mention. We have a big security gate, like a, a, a steel gate, so that when we're transporting the dogs, they can safely come from the garage into the house mm-hmm. and vice versa. They pulled, and I've put photos on my Instagram, they pulled their Hummer onto our front lawn, I guess hooked it onto our gate, yanked it off of the foundation of our house. Wow. No announcement. No, we're here. Come out if you're in the house. Nothing. And so by midnight, when the detective finally came and I'm already three hours in, then I found out he said, your husband is being taken on suspicion of murder. And I said, you guys do all this for suspicion. First of all, you have the wrong person, but suspicion. Right. Right. And can you just for people that are listening, tell us the distance between Pomona and where you are, like time wise, minimum of a 45 minute to an hour drive. Right. Okay. So what, what, what do they charge him with? So he was charged with first degree murder and gang affiliation, which I was told that is a standard charge that they will try to add for more time. Right. Right. So they definitely didn't hesitate to add that on there. Yeah. And when we interviewed uh, Judge Craig J. Mitchell, who I think I think I sent you his episode, but he talked about that um, with disdain, how those charges would be added for exactly that. Correct. Um, impact. Tell tell me, how do you know that Christopher's innocent? My husband works insane hours with me. He's all about us, as you've seen on social media. My husband can't even, we don't even do like wait until December 25th to open Christmas gifts. He can't hold water. He just goes here. Here's your gifts. I can't, I can't (laughs) open it now. Open it now. So Christopher can't keep anything from me. He'll, you know, look at me sideways when he finds out I said this word. He is very sensitive and he takes things to heart. He's a big teddy bear. And he, when I say he literally can't keep anything from me, he can't. I'll always know when something's up. He can't surprise me because I always know. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I love that. Yes. So if I hurt his feelings, he'll say he's okay, but he's not. Uh I I, I know when I said something that may have, you know, rubbed him the wrong way and we'll talk about it. But he can't, he can't say I didn't do anything or nothing's wrong. I mean, be like, okay. Right, right. So you're speaking to his character, that that's how you know he's innocent. But but logistically, how do you know he's innocent? My husband would never take a life. The facts of the case stated it, even though I knew way beforehand that my husband was innocent. The case itself, nothing points to my husband as the person that did this hideous crime. Right, right. I, I mean, I've I've actually read over different different documents on this case and I, I have to completely agree with you. It, it seems like I kept looking for something that I might have missed because I don't I don't get it. I don't understand how that could have been the conclusion that was drawn and that it was Christopher. But now the worst has happened, right? He's been brought in on on murder charges and you're left with your your three children. Now you're you're in essence a single parent for the next you're not thinking this is going to be three years, obviously. You're thinking, I'm going to get my husband out of jail, right? I thought he'd be home by the whatever the court date was going to be instantly. Uh, I was like, they're going to realize right away that they got the wrong person. They're going to have to let him go. 
Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what code 25what. I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Ah, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com/what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com/what. So what happened next? Um, that did not happen. He had his arraignment date and the attorney that we had at the time without hesitation told me that this would not be under a year, that this specific police department does not back down. And even if they are wrong, they are not going to admit they're wrong. They are going to ride it out in hopes that they can just get a conviction. And that's exactly what we've been dealing with. So how how does one go about raising the money for a, a criminal attorney kind of on a dime, right? Because you didn't have much time. No, I didn't. So the blessing of having our clients that are like family is a, our top clients reached out in support and offered to advance their dog's 
daycare and boarding services. Wow. That was such a blessing because the first lawyer was three times less than the legal team that we have now. So we raised that money within a month and paid the first attorney. That was only through the preliminary stage. Okay. We were sure that at the preliminary hearing that there was not enough evidence to hold Christopher over for trial. Right. Is is there any evidence? No. <laughs> no, their their evidence is someone that apparently fingered Chris or he'd even really finger him. He said, I see y'all got y'all man when Chris was brought into the jail because he was also in jail. Mm -hmm. But at the preliminary, he retracted all of his statements. He said he was high on a drug. I think it was PCP. And he said he never said this and he never said that. And we're hearing this at the prelim. And I'm thinking my husband's about to walk out of this courtroom. But they can literally use what he said during his police interviews in the interrogation room. And that is enough to hold someone over for trial. Wow. But but there's no physical evidence connecting him, right? No evidence. No, no gun, no, no weapon, no weapon, no DNA. They took his truck the night that they took him and destroyed it. For the most part, I have it back in my possession now. I had to basically piece it back together, but they never found any gunpowder or gun residue or whatever they were looking for. Mm -hmm. The witnesses that were with the unfortunately man that was um, deceased now. Yes. Their descriptions were nothing in the likes of Christopher. What what were their descriptions? Light skinned and fat. And my husband is dark, very dark. And he is not fat. And when they showed one of the witnesses a still photo of my husband, she said, that's not him. Wow. So that that seems like pretty convincing evidence to at least look for other people on this. Yes. Right? The the person that she was shown multiple photos of potential gang members of um, said gang that they're trying to say my husband is from. Now, my husband's photo was a still photo from a gas station earlier that day. Mm. The mug shots that they showed her the lineup were of gang members of the gang. Right. And so she actually ended up identifying someone in that lineup with confidence. It's actually in the police reports that she says it says she started sobbing uncontrollably while she circled his photo. Wow. And instead of taking her word for it, they said that's impossible. You after this is after three times, three separate times they brought her in. And by the third time they told her, you, you, you identified the wrong person. It, it wasn't him. Amazing. They told her what yeah. she saw. Right. And, and they went with Christopher. Bless her heart for never giving in. Mm. She stuck with her story that my husband, she said he's too dark and he's not fat enough. <laughs> Did they call her as a witness? Did your attorney call her at the trial? Yes. It, she went up for the prelim mm-hmm. and the trial. And okay. I, I'm so grateful that she never changed her story. Yeah, that's amazing. So you are now, so you go past the prelim and you're in the trial phase. Oh, goodness. And you have an attorney that maybe could be described as overwhelmed at this point, do you think? Very overwhelmed. I think he underestimated what 
this courthouse was capable of. Like so many of us that knew Chris or read the facts of the case, there was no way they were going to win this. So I think he went in there thinking that, well, they don't have enough, you know, and the facts would be enough to set Chris free. Right. So there was no plan B mm-hmm. and they, they, they definitely opened everyone's eyes to what they can say, the way they can manipulate the jury's minds to think this way and basically steer away from the facts. Let me make up a story. Let mm. me put you in this fairy tale land. Let me get all of your emotions involved. But right. that's not bringing the family justice. You right. can't bring the family justice just by getting someone. You make sure it's the, the right, right person. person. Yeah. So tell me, how are you keeping up his spirits then? How are you keeping up your spirits? Oh, I work out almost every single day. Yeah. Multiple times a day. After Chris was taken away, I was instantly depressed. I have blacked out curtains. We always have so we can sleep and I kept them closed. My mom gave up her place and moved in right away Mm. to help. So I would just, you know, go to work. I had to. I had to keep the business going. But when I came home, I didn't have anything left. I didn't have anything left for our kids. I didn't have anything left for me. I just got in the bed for almost a week straight, probably longer. And then my mom one day came in and said, Tracy, you got to. You got to get up. And she just looked so serious and she said it and so concerned. And so um, she's like, get back to working out. You you loved working out because I have fun with my workouts. And so that's what I dug deep into for clear uh, to clear my mind and so that's been my saving grace and then with christopher we read our couple's devotional bible every day we're up to three different ones now sometimes he'll read sometimes i'll read or sometimes we'll both read and there's questions at the end of each reading which helps us you know bounce off of each other with remember wins and memories and uh-huh. how far we've come when things were hard and look how we overcame that and mm. you know every marriage has its ups and downs so it's really nice when we're able to reflect on things that we may have whined and bickered about in the past and i promise you today it wouldn't even phase us no do you do you get that's beautiful by the way thank you for sharing that do you how long do you get to talk to him when you when you speak with him um, lately, it's been anywhere from 35, 30 minutes to an hour. If he, you know, can use the phone on a consistent basis, you know, he just got moved back down to Wayside, um, which is an hour outside of Los Angeles. So that's the only plus that he's able to focus on being so far away is that he can use the phones more. Yeah. Downtown LA is way more overcrowded. There is at least 40 to 50 of them in one dorm sharing three or four phones. Wow. So I wasn't able to talk to him for long periods of time when he was in L.A. So the the trial that we're talking about ended in a mistrial, right? Yes. Yes. There was one juror. There was one juror. So the trial was over. We were kind of relieved. I... And everyone else that was there believed that it, we were, we did it because the facts weren't enough. We weren't impressed with Chris's lawyer's performance, but we had to keep the faith that the facts were enough. And we heard the jury rules read out that beyond a reasonable doubt. And we alone could come up with 10 off the top of our heads right. of different things that 
you have to find him not guilty because they did not prove this, this, that, or that. So when they called our lawyer and said, it's 11 to 1, we instantly got excited. We went one floor down so that we wouldn't be on the same floor as everyone else. And we thought for sure it was 11 to 1 in favor of not guilty. Mm. I, I'm pretty sure I gasped out loud and then I started crying mm-hmm. when I heard it the other way when we got back in that courtroom. Right. Why, do you, why do you think it was 11 to 1 in favor of his guilt? The way the DA put on that case, it was exactly what I said earlier. Forget about facts. I'm going to show you the deceased family's victim mm-hmm. 30 times. Yeah. I'm going to make you stare at this deceased body. I'm going to zoom in on this deceased body and I'm going to make up a motive as to why you need to convict Christopher Kearney right. and bring this family justice. It's basically what he said. I'm going to give you a motive. He said, I don't have to, but I'm going to give you one. Wow. Wow. So you were, you were powerless at that point. So powerless. Yeah. So then the, the, the trial ends. He stays incarcerated. That is correct. I felt, Oh, Laura, walking out of that courtroom without Christopher, we really thought it was over. You know, mm-hmm. I had, um, therapists lined up for him. He, he, we had started talking about this weeks before he wanted to get into therapy because of some of the things he's seen and witnessed in there. I had therapists lined up. I bought new pillows. I bought new blankets. I bought him new underwear and socks. And it was all ready for him. And coming back home without him in the car, coming back home to everything ready for him, that day was extremely hard. Oh, I can't even imagine. When when was that? That was September 18th. September 18th, 2019? Yes. Okay. So... Then comes your campaign to get Sean King's attention. Is that correct? Yes. So I started the day after. Well, when the trial ended, uh, Michelle was with me. We rode together. We rode all the way back to L.A. in silence. I couldn't give her anything and she couldn't give me anything. We were just absolutely destroyed. I took her back to her car and then I went home. My mom had to work. She's a nurse. And my cousin, who's more like a sister, she also had to work. She left work early. They both did and met at my house. And I just lost it. I lost it. I'm in tears. I just kept saying, I don't know how I'm going to do this again, raising the money. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know where to begin. I just was kind of just letting it all out. And then at the end of crying for about an hour, I said, I have to tell Chris's story. I just kept playing back the way the DA was making Chris look like this monster. Mm -hmm. And because we didn't have a proper defense, the jury never got to know Chris. They didn't know anything about him. And so I started um, posting photos of Chris and started telling our story. And then I've been following Sean for years before I even could fathom the thought of needing him for myself. And I'm just going to, sorry, just to interrupt really quickly, Sean King is an American writer, he's a civil rights activist, and he's co-founder of Real Justice PAC. And he uses social media to promote social justice causes, including Black Lives Matter. So go go ahead. Yes. Yes. So when I was trying to think about ways to raise money, I thought of Sean. 
And I said, it would be something to have him advocating for Christopher. If I can just get him to look at this case, I know that I could convince him to help us. But we all know that those that know Sean King, that Mm -hmm. is hard to do. Right. (laughs) He has a lot of followers and everybody is begging him for help. Yes. So I just started one day with what you see posting a different photo almost every day or a video clip. And I would tag Sean and I would tag Lee Merritt because I was also following him. And then I just started posting to every blog, every celebrity you could think of just this long thing that was saved as a on my little clipboard on my phone. I was just copy paste, copy paste until Instagram thought I was a spammer (laughs) and they would put me in timeout for 24 hours. And um, before I knew it, everyone started tagging Sean, the wonderful Leslie Jones. She's a comedian. I am happy to call her a friend. She shared my story. Oh, I love her. Mm -hmm. She shared our story on her social media platform. She was the first one to do it. She reached out to me and she was so heartbroken and she asked me to send her a picture and she would share our story. And she did. And people went crazy with tagging Sean. And three months later, you'll love you'll love this story christopher had asked me to bring the boys to see him um he was at wayside again they just keep moving him back and forth between valencia california or castaic one city over to la so he said why don't you bring the boys to see me on saturday we always went every weekend and then he said asha our teenager take her and her best friend to six flags because it's one exit over and they have season passes Kill two birds with one stone. I was like, okay, that's perfect. We'll do that. The day before, on a Friday, they canceled our visit. No explanation. And I couldn't reschedule it. So I kept the promise to Asha and her friend. And I drove down there to drop them off at Six Flags. And I just started crying after I dropped them off. I had my boys. And I'm like, we're supposed to be going right there to go see Chris. And we can't. So I got back in the car, had to walk them in, you know, to get their little flash pass so they didn't have to wait in line. And I was walking back to the car and I got an alert and I got in the car and I looked at it and it was a DM. It was a DM from Sean King What? as I'm getting in the car. And he said, hey, my friend, I just saw your story. You know, basically give me more information. Mm -hmm. Email me more information. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. And I sat in that car and I just lost it. I lost it. I did not leave that parking lot until I sent him almost every document that I could attach to Google Drive. (laughs) (laughs) And I sent it all over and then I hit the road and I just had this weight lifted off my shoulders the whole way back to L.A. Like something's going to happen now. Mm -hmm. Like it worked. It, It really, really worked. Three months of tagging and everyone tagging him. It worked. Yes. Well, it's really 
because you had gone, like you said, you gone, your community showed up for you for the first trial and, 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 and gave you money and you were raise, able to raise the money through that, through your beautiful community. But then you can't, you can't go back to those same sources over and over again. And you had, you had spent all the money in the first trial, right? Yes. Between attorneys and, um, the experts, the experts yes. ended up paying out of pocket. Yeah. Uh, so now, you know, in order to get the type of attorney that can win this case, you needed to level up. Oh, yes. Yes. We needed to level up. So Sean King went to bat for you and posted about Christopher on his social media. Yes. And I want everyone to know that did not happen overnight. Right. That man makes sure that he knows what he's talking about. Our very first phone conversation, unlike attorneys and people that don't try to humanize the person, he wanted to know what you asked me. How did you guys meet? He wanted to know about Chris first. So it was fun telling him the backstory of how Christopher and I met as well. He took about two months to speak to his, you know, legal experts to speak to potential lawyers that we were interested in. And he made sure that everything was done right before he put it out there on social media. Amazing. That's absolutely incredible. So then the money was raised for his current legal team, right? Yes. And you've raised the money for this new legal team that you've been connected to through Sean King, right? Yeah. So I was referred to this specific attorney from Jason Flom is actually um, right. a boarding found a founding board member of the Innocence Project. Yes. Now, the Innocence Project was referred to me 10 times over as well, but they deal with post conviction, not pre conviction. Right. So Jason also found out about Chris's story and wanted to help. So he reached out to his amazing legal friends and one of his legal friends referred me to the legal team that we have now. It was, it was a no brainer once I spoke to them that that was the choice that we needed to make. And I'm so glad we did. Yeah. So right, right about the time or right after the time that you have this new legal team in place, COVID is setting in on our nation. Oh, yes. I think right away, right? You were, right you were limited. Right away. Yeah. To, right and, away. So you couldn't go see him. No, I haven't seen Chris since the end of February. His legal team was sworn in on April 2nd. That was the one and only time that they have been able to see each other. That was at court when they were sworn in and then COVID changed everything and yes. they haven't been able to have one meeting since everything happened. That's incredible. So really your phone calls are the gold right now. Your phone calls with Christopher, right? They are his lifeline. Yeah. Yes, they are. So speaking of COVID-19, the jails are locked down. All jails, all prisons are locked down. No visitors in or out, including attorneys, right? Including attorneys. So what, were you scared when you heard about COVID in the jails for the first time? You know, initially I wasn't. I was scared for everyone because anyone can get it. But I strongly believed, I made myself believe that my husband was not going to get it. I, I really believed in that. And I'm sure that carried you through a few days and weeks, right? With that, like, I don't have to worry about that. 
as long as he called, mm-hmm. I anxiously awaited to hear how he sound. Did he sound normal? Yeah. Did he sound upbeat? And it was going good. It was going good. And then one day, what did you hear in his voice? He sound so done, just exhausted, couldn't say more than three words without mm. stopping. And he wouldn't accept it. He said he didn't think he had it. He, he just didn't want to believe he had it. And I asked him, well, tell me some things that you're feeling. And he said, my chest hurts. My body is sore. And he had a cough. But he was trying to say the cough wasn't, you know, a lot. It was just a little bit here right. and there. He was trying to play it down. Oh, he did not want me to worry. Mm. Wow. And he's like, and I'm just really tired. And I go, Christopher, that's all signs. And I was more concerned around that time frame because originally the lockdown was no one can go in or out of any of the dorms. If you're there, you're there and that's where you're going to stay. Then for some reason, they started letting like people be switched. And Chris and I are convinced that when they did that, someone brought it in because almost everyone in that dorm tested positive. And the uh, the dorm is about how many people? Oh, and it could be anywhere from 30 to 40, if I'm not mistaken, he said. And it's an they, open plan? It's an open plan, and they have uh, triple-tier bunks, mm-hmm. and everyone has a bunk number where they sleep. And this is Christopher's preferred place? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in a school dorm, which yeah. is a privilege, as as highly privileged as you can get in the jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got to go before COVID. They went to school. So they had three classes a day, various subjects, whether it was computers or parenting or, you know, they just had different subjects. And he really enjoyed that. It really took some of the time off mm. um, because half of his day he was in class. So right, right. he really enjoyed that. It was a privilege for, for him to be in that program. And you you and I, during one of our conversations, you were talking about his relationship and your relationship with the guards there. Can you talk about that a little? Absolutely. So we actually were just talking about this when he called yesterday. Um, he is very respectful with anyone. So he would ask the officers, how are you doing today? And, you know, how was your day? Or thank you. Mm-hmm. Something as simple as a thank you. And, of course, I was there faithfully every weekend. And so the visiting staff is usually very repetitive. It's the same people. Mm -hmm. So they got to know Christopher and I's love story. They love the kids. And when Christopher was transferred back from Wayside to L.A. again, Mm -hmm. they thought all of them were so devastated that knew us. They thought Christopher had been released because they hadn't seen him anymore. They didn't know what had happened. They didn't know that he got transferred out. Yeah. Because they're in the front, you know, and and in the visiting rows. They're not in the main part of the jail as much. So they saw me first and the the look on their face, Laura, Mm. just so puzzled. Mm. And then I told them and they were just like, oh, no. Like, you know, so they always um, when they could, they would allow us to have the what's called a row which is extended visits it's usually for the inmates that are on a 23 hour a day lockdown they get an hour visit versus 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and we were always so grateful especially when i had the kids they would let us do the hour visits so that we could spend some extra time together and they just they always looked out for us any way that they could uh, without 
they humanized Chris. It goes back to being humanized. Mm. Christopher was not a number. A lot of the inmates are not. That staff, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They are really, really, really nice. Wow. When it sounds like they were able to see who you guys were. Yes. And, and honor that, which is so beautiful. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that they don't know when, when prisoners get transferred out or they're released. So I can see their dismay, you know, when you came back in. So tell me where we are now. Christopher has another court date set. Yeah, so the next court date is going to be on June 29th. Unfortunately, because of COVID, nothing's going to happen at that court date either. The only plus to the shutdown of, you know, all these trials that were already preset and now have to be rescheduled is that his legal team has had so much time to get caught up on the case. Right. Because right. they don't have to be in court every morning for their clients. So they've gotten a lot of background work done, which is a blessing. The only thing they really need to do now is put it all together and sit with Christopher. So the next court date is going to be on June 29th. Christopher won't need to go to that one. And I think they're just going to do another continuance until everything kind of gets back to normal because they're, they're not even doing trials right now. Wow. Oh, Tracy. I mean, so I just have to say that that's an incredible story you just told us and and I and we're in the middle of it. I know it's not over. Or maybe we're at the tail end of it, hopefully. I say the light is right there. Yeah, the light I is right there. It. Thank you. Thank you. I see it. But your spirit and your energy is incredible. It's incredible. It is it is absolutely from a larger source and whatever you've done to let that source in keep doing it, please, because you buoy all of us and give all of us hope. You know, someone said to me the other day that they admired how much I fight for Chris. And I told them it helps to have someone worth fighting for. Christopher, from day one, never looked at myself or Asha as anything less than his priority. I'll share a story with you that I shared with Sean when he was asking me different questions about Chris. We had been dating four months. Uh -huh. um, so we started dating and made it official in September of 2007. Tax time came around, of course, in January, February-ish. Christopher got his income tax return. And he asked me to come up to the job, 24-Hour Fitness. He was still working there. And he said to me, here, and he gave me, it was uh, easily over $1,000. And he said, I want you to go to the mall, because I was a single mother still kind of for the most part. And I want you to get you and Asha some new clothes. And he said, just give me a pair of jeans or two if you see something you think I'll like. This is not even four months into our relationship. Yeah, I'm like... Is he serious right now? <laughs> I'm what, 23? I think I was mm. like, did, did he just say that? And yeah. that is something that always stuck to me. Christopher never, ever put himself before Asha and I ever. So it is, I told Chris, although I wish the circumstances were different, I tell him it is an honor to be able to give back to him the way he's always done for us he always thought I was going to leave and things that he hears in that jail and it's nice now he went from that back in 2018 
two, he knows that his wife is not going anywhere. No. That his wife is fighting. I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. No. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you letting us get to know Christopher through this conversation right now. I I mean, I, I feel like I know him so well. And, you know, so I've never met you except for over the phone. I've never met him over the phone, but I still feel like I know his character. I, I understand him to be innocent of this. I'm, I feel like you're in very good hands with your new attorneys, who I also had the pleasure of speaking with. And I am, I am confident as you are that this will be resolved. And I just hope that there's enough resolution with COVID that you're able to get to the point where you can get him in front of a judge and a jury and get him out of there. You know, that's, that's what I'm hoping to. Um, I'm grateful. Like I said, the timing that the lawyers can sit down and yes. get their background work done on it. And I'm also grateful for the wrongful conviction podcast. And of course, you know, the Netflix documentary that has recently been trending on Netflix from the wrongful conviction crew called the innocence files. And I just, I feel like people are paying attention. Yes. And when you do get picked for jury duty, that you actually do just that pay attention. Don't just go off of your emotions and just want to put somebody away. Pay attention. Everybody that is incarcerated is not guilty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. I'm hoping that we can continue these conversations and follow you until Christopher is home with you. And then maybe even a little bit afterward. I would love that. I would love that too. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Tracy. And please uh, tell Christopher, we said, yeah, <laughs> said, I hey, will. Yeah. please I tell Christopher, we said, Hey, yeah. For sure. Yeah. All right. Thank you. He already knows of you, Laura. He so. does. <laughs> oh, yes. What? I you're stuck with this. Yes, no. we are. Well, soon we're going to be bringing Venus and Serena to you. Oh, yeah. Yes. I got yes. We need you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Venus and Serena are, are our dogs, dogs, of course. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Not the athletes. Okay. Thank you, girl. Good morning, Daddy. Good morning, Brendan. My big, strong boy. Give me a muscle and go. Since that episode with Tracy went live, there's been a major development in Christopher's case. Just last month, May of 2023, 
Tracy made a video of this announcement and linked to it from her Instagram. Her Instagram name is Justice for Christopher Kearney, and it's also linked in the show notes. Unfortunately, the news is not good. In the video, Tracy said that she was surprised to be told that Christopher has decided to avoid having a second trial. Instead, he made the decision to accept a plea offer from the prosecutor, and the terms of that deal mean that he'll have to serve another eight years. In the video, Tracy explained what she could think of as the logic behind this decision. What it boils down to is that in the first trial, he was almost convicted. The jury was voting 11 to 1 for a guilty verdict. If Chris was convicted in a second trial, he could end up with 50 years to life, and he felt that he could not take that risk. As shocked as I was when I heard this news, I cannot even imagine how Tracy felt when she was told. But that's our justice system. Prosecutors are incentivized to get convictions and close cases. Whether or not the defendant is actually guilty, well, that part doesn't seem to matter too much. Really infuriating. So there's your introduction to the Only One in the Room podcast. The stories you'll hear on that show are real life, just like we do on this podcast. Not every story has a happy ending, but the stories will affect you and you'll remember them. Graphics for this episode were created by Bob Bretz. Full episode transcription was created by James Lye. So let's get to the listener story. We end every episode this way, even a bonus episode, because we all love hearing a good story. If you have a 5-10 to ten minute story, I really hope you send it to me so that everyone can hear it. This listener story is about gorillas. Stay safe, and I'll see you back here in a week with the next regular episode of What Was That Like? Hi, Scott. This is Amelia, and I live in Ontario, Canada. I am dropping you a voice note to tell you about the time I went gorilla trekking in Rwanda. Back in 2010, I decided I needed to go on safari. I was inspired by a photography instructor that I had, and he had been on safari and shown me some of his photos. So I decided I was I was doing it. I was going to go. I called my amazing travel agent and told her I wanted to see gorillas in the wild before they were extinct, and she found the perfect trip for me. I actually went on a three-week overland truck trip through Kenya, Uganda, and Rwanda. But this little side trip, if you will, to see the gorillas was separate from the organized trip that everyone was on. To see the gorillas in Rwanda, you have to apply to the government to get a permit. And only 56, at least this was in 2010, I I don't know if the rules have changed, 56 people per day are granted these permits. And you have to show up on your specified given day at, I think it was 5 o'clock or 5.30 in the morning at the base of Volcanoes National Park. And this was kind of close to uh, Ruhangeri, Rwanda. I get there on the day of. I'm by myself. I, I travel alone frequently. And it's explained that they're going to put us into 
I forget now if it was seven or eight groups of people, but the groups were determined based on your fitness level. And those who were super fit would go the farthest distance to hike and see a particular family, whereas maybe some some other people that had physical limitations or were, you know, limited by their age or cardiovascular fitness would go to a family that was closer. Now, I had had a car accident, quite a bad one, actually, a couple of months after I booked my trip, but long before the trip actually happened. So I booked all of this and got my permit, but then I ended up having a back injury. And so for that reason, I ended up going in the, quote, easy group, and we had a a really sort of lackadaisical experience. We just sort of had to hike up about, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes. It was barely a hill. Really, really easy experience. I heard later in the day from the people that were in the tough group, they'd gone hiking up the mountain for about three hours with machetes cutting through sugar cane to get there. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound like fun. Plus it's Rwanda, like it's hot, right? Anyway, they tell us the they're waitering ahead and they're finding out where the gorillas are and they're tracking foodstuffs and like droppings and chewed leaves and figuring out where these families of gorillas are. Now, if you can picture this, you're in a single file line. Once you're in your group and you're assigned to X gorilla family, you walk in a straight file line. At the front of the line, there's a guard with a gun Now, forgive my ignorance, but I'm Canadian. We don't do guns up here quite the same way that people do in the States. So I couldn't tell you what kind of gun it was, except that it was big, it was black, and it looked like something a soldier in the Army or the Navy or some Navy SEAL would carry or something. It was very intimidating. Then you have one of the guides that's got a radio and they're, you know, talking to other guides throughout the Volcanoes Park, trying to figure out where the gorillas are. And you have your seven or maybe it was eight people, I can't remember, tourists that are there with their permits. One or more of them may have had a Sherpa. I had a Sherpa carrying my photography equipment because of my back. And then at the end of the row, the end of your single file line is another guard with another big scary gun. So we're going up the hill, up the mountain, and they find the gorillas and they tell us they're coming just over the next crest, the next little hill, if you will. And sure enough, there they were. So you got to put everything down and you approach very gently and you find a place to sit. And basically, you kind of let the gorillas wander around you, like no sudden movements, no eye contact. Obviously, you're not allowed to touch them or make any threatening gestures, nor would you want to. Like, hello, there's a silver back there. You'd be toast in about four seconds. But anyway, I found a spot to sit and settled in for the next 60 minutes of awestruck, amazing beauty. And let me tell you, you get exactly 60 minutes, not 61. Like they are very strict about not wanting these animals to be habituated to humans. So I'm sitting in the forest and I heard some rustling up above my head and I looked up and it was probably around six or eight feet up above me. There was this little juvenile gorilla. I later found out from the guides that were there that day that he's estimated to be two years old, but he was up in the, in the tree and he was pulling the branches back, looking down at me. It was really cool. We just kind of had a moment where I didn't want to maintain eye contact, but I was looking at him and he was looking at me and it was kind of cool. Anyway, I'm sitting there and I sort of, you know, you sort of feel something in your peripheral area before you even see it in your peripheral vision. And I just sort of had this sense that something was really close by. 
So I very slowly turned my head to the right. And sure enough, I'm guessing it was the mom. I'm not sure, but there was another gorilla and it was less than two feet away from me sitting beside me. And if you had just looked at me from a distance, you wouldn't have been able to see it. It was camouflaged. It was hidden in the bushes. But I looked to my right and we made eye contact. So I very slowly picked up my camera and took one image with a 50 mil lens just so I would be able to capture that moment. And to this day, I absolutely love that photo. It takes me right back to that moment, that minute, that experience, that feeling. And um, it's that is one of the top 10 days of my life. But here's where things get a little bit more interesting. So we finished our hour with the gorillas and it's time to head back down. And I'm a polite young lady, so I wanted to tip the the guides and the Sherpa and the guards. Now, I want to backtrack a little bit and say, you know, back to the gun situation. I had some really strong feelings and reservations about the guns. I felt like it was my decision to apply for this permit and walk into this park and see these natural wild animals in their natural habitat. So if I get eaten by a gorilla or or a lion or charged by an elephant, like that's my fault. I absolutely did not want an animal to get hurt because of some stupid decision I made as a human. But I was told time and again that they were there to protect us because of the wild animals. So fine. We get back to the base and I have to go find my wallet. It's locked in a safe and go get money and, you know, get stuff out and figure out what I'm giving to whom and everything. But it only took a a few minutes, like maybe five minutes to go and do all of that. And I came back and the guards were gone. The guys with the guns, not just from my group, but from another group that had come back too. They were just completely gone. They'd been wandering around that morning at, you know, 530 in the morning in plain sight, being assigned to different groups to go for hikes and stuff. But now, whoosh, completely and totally gone. So I went up to the guide who I had just spent the morning with. He led us up the mountain and brought us back down. He saw me with the gorillas. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. I'm sure I have a photo of him somewhere. But anyhow, I gave him a tip and I asked him where the guys with the guns went. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, the guys with the guns that were protecting us from the animals. And he looked at me again and he said, what are you talking about? And for a split second, I thought am I crazy? Was I imagining all of that? Like what, what's, what's going on? I don't, what do you mean? What am I talking about? The guys with the big, huge guns that were dressed like soldiers, the one in the front, the one in the back. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no, nobody with guns here. Just it's over. And that was that. I mean, I just wanted to give them money, right? I wasn't going to tell them anything untoward. So it was the next uh, night, the next day rather, I had decided because of my back that I was leaving the truck trip and striking out on my own. So I was going to stay at a hostel in Ruhangari, Rwanda and figure out the rest of the trip on my own without the itinerary of this company that was essentially turning their truck around and driving back to Nairobi. I didn't want to be on the truck anymore because the roads are terrible and my back was really, really, really problematic. So that's a story for another day. I found my own way back to Nairobi and it involved an airplane and a motorcycle and a guy with no legs. But anyway, I digress. I borrowed a copy of The Lonely Planet from someone Uh, at the hostel just to sort of see the region on paper and try to make some plans and figure out what was what. And that's when I think I found out what the secret of these guards with the guns might have been. If you look at a map 
of Rwanda and specifically Volcanoes National Park. You'll see that it borders the Congo, the DR. And there have been, at least remember, this was 2010. So if things have changed, I don't know. But back then, there were still some significant issues with child soldiers in the DR attacking or holding hostage tourists for money, like ransom. And so I believe that those guys with the guns were not there for protection of animals, but rather to keep pirates at bay. And by the time we got back down to the bottom of the park, they dispersed because it's bad for business. They don't want people that come during the day inquiring about permits and visas to get an opportunity to see these gorillas, to see the guns with guard, with uh, the guard story with guns. So that's my experience. I went gorilla trekking in Rwanda. If anybody gets a chance to go, please, please, please try to make it happen because you will not forget it and it will be one of the most incredible experiences of your life. Stay cool, everyone. Uh.